Our songs have certainly touched on the theme of uh, the Christian warfare in this world, and that certainly comes from our text tonight. Jude, verse 3, invites you to hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together uh, before we study it. Father in heaven, uh, as we come now uh, to Your Word, uh, we pray uh, that You would show us wonderful things from it. Indeed, Lord, we, we want to be um, people who stand up, stand up for Jesus. Uh, we want to be people who uh, wake up tomorrow uh, determined to advance the cause uh, of our King. Lord, we pray that you would make us into those people more and more tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Dear congregation, when theologians speak about the church, they will at times distinguish between the church militant and the church triumphant. And when theologians talk about the church triumphant, they're simply referring to the church as she exists now in heaven. Here in heaven, the church is made up of believers who have fought the good fight and finished the race and kept the faith and now wear the crown of victory in glory, all right? Believers who've passed on to glory, they belong to the church triumphant. The church militant then refers to the church as she exists now on earth. It refers to the church as she's engaged in the good fight of faith. It refers to the church as she is under attack and advances slowly but surely through the enemy territory that is this world. So there is, there is one church, but the one church exists in two places. She exists in heaven as the church triumphant and consists of those who have won the victory through faith in Jesus Christ, and she exists on earth as the church militant and consists of those who continue to fight the good fight of faith. Now, why do I open with these theological categories? Well, I do so because the third verse of Jude serves as a rallying cry to the church militant. There, Jude says, you just heard it, beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In a sense here, in verse 3, 
Some of you will appreciate this. Jude, Jude is like, he's like William Wallace in Braveheart on his horse going up and down the battle lines with that face paint on, of course. And he's encouraging and he's motivating his soldiers to fight with all they have against the enemy. That, that's Jude here. In verse three, he's mobilizing the troops. He's calling out to the church militant. He's saying, people of God, take up your swords, ready your shields, fix your armor. The enemy is attacking and we must stand firm against him. We must contend for the faith. We must fight for the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude here, he's rallying the church militant, and he's calling on the church militant to fight courageously and boldly the good fight of faith. Mindful of that context of what's happening, let's notice first Jude's address, second Jude's adjustment, and third Jude's appeal. All right, so first, Jude's address. It's found in the very first word of our text, beloved. Beloved. That's what Jude calls his readers here, beloved. Now, who are they beloved by? Well, they're, they're beloved by God the Father, aren't they? We've already seen that in this letter. Jude mentioned that in his introduction in verse 1. He says these people were beloved in God the Father. But the way Jude addresses them here suggests even more than that. It suggests that these, these people are beloved by Jude as well. Jude, Jude here is speaking as if he, he also loves these people. Now, why does Jude, Jude love these people to whom he's writing? Well, the answer is simple. Jude loves these people because God loves these people. That's how it works in the Christian community. John 13, 34, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. 1 John 4, 21, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jude loves these people because God loves these people. And Jude here resolves in this address to see these people and to relate to these people as God sees and relates to these people in Christ. Let me ask, can we do that for one another? Can, can we resolve in our hearts to see one another as God sees us? Can you resolve to see that person over there, maybe not as your sinful heart wants to see them, but as God sees them in Christ? Can, can you do that? That's what Jude does here. When he calls his readers beloved, he simply resolves to, to see these people and to speak about these people as God sees these people and speaks about these people in Christ. Well, let's notice second, the adjustment. We see the adjustment in the middle of our text. Jude writes, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you 
to contend for the faith. So right there, Jude says, I changed my mind. I adjusted the the content of this letter. I was going to write to you about our common salvation. That seems to indicate that Jude originally intended to write maybe a, a generic letter in which he simply wanted to ground his readers in the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. But he, but he changed his mind, didn't he? He decided to do something else. And instead of writing maybe generically about their common salvation, he decides to write a letter urging his readers to contend for the faith. Now, why does Jude make this adjustment? Well, he tells us in verse 4, it's because somewhere along the way, Jude has discovered that certain people have crept into the church unnoticed. And these people, they're perverting the gospel, and these people, they're denying the Lord Jesus Christ, and these people, frankly, are dangerous. They're dangerous. So Jude, he was going to write about their common salvation, but he's discovered that there's an issue in the church that needs to be identified and dealt with. And so Jude adjusts the purpose and the content of this letter. And in this adjustment, Jude provides a worthy example for pastors, but I would say for anybody who's called to oversee the spiritual health and well-being of someone else, right? So pastors are called to, with the elders, oversee the spiritual health and well-being of the congregation, but, but parents, too, are called to oversee the spiritual health and well-being of their children. So as I speak about, about pastors here, parents, I, I think you can apply this to your relationship with your children. But, 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 but Jude here provides a, a worthy example for watchmen, a worthy example for pastors, right? Because the pastor is uh, to be a watchman, and the watchman, the watchman in Scripture is given a specific responsibility, Ezekiel 3.16 says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. And then in Ezekiel 33, God tells Ezekiel what this means for him. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and kills any of them, his blood will be on the watchman's head. Right, so, the past, so, so, so there in Ezekiel 33, God says to the watchman, if you see danger coming and you don't sound the alarm, you don't blow the trumpet, and people are harmed, their blood is on your head. You are at fault, watchman. You're a lousy watchman. Your job is to blow the trumpet. That's the job of the watchman. And that means the pastor or the parent is not to remain silent in the face of trouble. No, the, the pastor is to, is to sound the alarm in the face of trouble. And Jude here, in this adjustment he makes, he's simply fulfilling his duty. He's simply acting as a pastor should act. He's simply being a watchman. He said, I was going to write about our common salvation, but I can't. 
because I see danger in your midst and I must blow the trumpet. Now this, this duty, it, it's a neglected duty in the church today. It's probably neglected in the home too, but, but we'll speak about the church. It's a neglected duty in the church. Why is it neglected? It's neglected because blowing the trumpet is hard. Whenever a pastor blows the trumpet, whenever a pastor takes a firm stand on the truth of God's word, whenever the pastor points at someone or some movement and and calls it a false teaching or a false teacher, there is blowback. Someone is usually offended. It's much easier for pastors, believe me, it's much easier for pastors to speak in generic ways about our common salvation than to speak boldly and clearly with scripture about a particular issue in the church. The great pastor Warren Wiersbe, he he speaks for all pastors when he says, I must confess that I sympathize with Jude. In my own ministry, I'd much rather encourage the saints than declare war on the apostates. That's why this duty of being a watchman and of sounding the trumpet is widely neglected because, because doing so comes at a cost. And yet I would say, I would say not doing so also comes at a cost. I've been asked, I've been asked many times, what do you think is wrong with the Christian Reformed Church? How have we gotten here? We have 178,000 members. 30 years ago, we were knocking on the door of 400,000 members. We're, 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 we're less than half. Does that make sense in my mind? I don't do math well. Less than, you, you get it, right? like 45% of, of what we were 30 years ago. And now to top it off, a number of our churches can't even be called faithful anymore, right? There, there's a number of churches in our denomination that I'm not sending my family and friends to. And I assume many of you would say the same thing. So, so, so what has happened to us? You know, you know what my answer is? My answer is that for the last 30 or 40 years, about as long as I've been alive and sat in the pew, We've had pastors who've been pretty good at speaking generally about our common salvation, but who haven't taken the time to make adjustments and to say what really needed to be said sometimes in light of God's word. Now again, I'm I'm speaking broadly about the CRC. There are, there are exceptions, right? There are exceptions. This church might be an exception. When I look at the pastors you've had, I was talking to Reverend Klumpine about that this morning, right? Thank God for that. Praise God for that. But broadly, broadly speaking, that's my theory. We've had pastors that were, that, that, that were capable of speaking uh, generally about our common salvation, but weren't very good or bold or courageous to to sound the trumpet. And that comes from my own experience. It comes from things I've observed since I've been ordained in the denomination, right? For the last 30, 40 years, we've had lots of preachers who know how to preach, preach nice sermons, but few, few who have been willing or able to sound the trumpet. I grew up in Reformed churches. I don't recall too many trumpet sounding sermons 
I recall a lot of laughter and a lot of saying, oh, that was nice. Jude is an example for all of us. Pastors, I would say parents as well. He wanted to write about our common salvation, but decided instead that there was something that needed to be said. There was a trumpet that needed to be blown. And so he makes an adjustment. Finally, let's notice the appeal. Jude's appeal is clear, isn't it? His appeal is this, contend for the faith. This is the main instruction that Jude gives in this letter. Contend for the faith. The word contend is translated from the Greek word epagonizomai. The only reason I share that word with you is because there's something in it I want you to hear. It's right in the middle. Epagonizomai. You can't hear what's in the middle. I said it too fast. It's the word agonize. The word agonize is in the middle of that Greek word. This is a word that implies intense exertion on behalf of something. It's a word that was, was used often in regard to athletic and sporting events in the Roman world. It implies, again, intense exertion on behalf of something. It's a word that speaks of an earnest struggle, a passionate fight. And Jude says that's what we're to do for the faith. We're to earnestly struggle for the faith. We're to passionately fight for the faith. And when Jude speaks of the faith, he's not, he's not speaking about a person's trust in the Lord Jesus Christ here. He's not speaking about what we'd call the subjective experience of faith that each and every believer has. No, Jude here uh, is speaking about the faith. He uses the definite article, the word the. We don't refer to our faith in Jesus as the faith. I don't say I have the faith in Jesus. I say I have faith in Jesus. Jude here is talking about the faith. When Jude speaks about the faith, he's referring to the body of teaching that makes up the Christian faith. When he speaks about the faith, he's acknowledging that the Christian faith has shape and it has form. It has lines and it has contours. It consists of various truths and doctrines. Might think of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes this, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve and to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, then to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all to me. What's Paul doing there? He's, he's, he's stating a series of truth, truths which make up the faith. Christ died for our sins. Christ was raised on the third day. Christ appeared to many. Those are all truths which are part of the Christian faith. Or think of Acts 2.42, which says we devoted our, excuse me, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is, is the faith. What the apostles taught constitutes the faith. Think of the Heidelberg Catechism or the, the Belgic Confession. Those documents too set forth the faith as it consists in a recognizable body of teaching with shape and form. And, and of course, this, this, this becomes even clearer in what Jude says next. He says, the faith that was once for all delivered. My faith 
wasn't once for all delivered. Your faith wasn't once for all delivered, but the faith, the Christian faith, insofar as it consists of a recognizable body of teaching, was once for all delivered. And it was delivered by the apostles and the prophets, right? That word delivered takes us back to the apostles and the prophets. They are the ones who wrote down the word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they passed it on. And those people passed it on again, and those people passed it on again, and passed it on again. It's been delivered from generation to generation to generation. That's how it's supposed to work in the covenant community. Our faith is delivered. Of course, the last thing Jude says is that that the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. Who are the saints? Well, the saints are believers. The saints are the church. The The faith has not been given to the government. We should not expect the government to contend for it. The faith has not been given to Hollywood. You knew that. Shouldn't expect Hollywood to contend for it. It's been given to the church. It's been entrusted to us. You ever had something entrusted to you? Aaron and I, Eric and Nikisha can relate, have had something entrusted to us, a child, right? We've had a a child entrusted to us. And because of that, there's, there's something that makes me uniquely and strangely protective about my fifth child compared to my other ones. There is. Because he was, he was entrusted to me by, by other people. And that's what Jude is getting at here when he says the faith, it's been delivered and trusted to you, the saints. Therefore, you ought to contend for it. Therefore, you ought to struggle earnestly for it in the way that you'd struggle earnestly for that child that was entrusted to you. And so Jude here, he's making his appeal to the church militant. He's pleading with the church militant to contend for the faith that has been entrusted to the saints. How do God's people contend for the faith? That'll get fleshed out more as we work our way through the letter, but let's just peek down to verses 17 through 23 just to kind of whet our appetite because that's where Jude answers the question, how can we contend for the faith? Verse 20 specifically will help us tonight. Jude writes, but you, beloved, keep building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That, that, that's simply how we contend for the faith. We contend for the faith by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. This means the preacher who preaches the word week in and week out, he's contending for the faith. The mother who reads and explains Bible stories to her children before lunch or before bed, she's contending for the faith. The Sunday school teacher who who goes downstairs and who labors to impress even the simplest gospel truth into the heart of those children is contending for the faith. We contend for the faith as we build ourselves up in the faith. 
Jude says, Jude says we contend for the faith by, by praying earnestly in the Holy Spirit. That means the one who, who labors in prayer morning and evening and throughout the day, that person is contending earnestly for the faith. And Jude says we contend for the faith by, by keeping ourselves in the love of God. We talked about how to do that last week. We keep ourselves in the love of God by obeying God's commandments. That means the, the husband who selflessly loves his wife as Christ loves the church, the child who obeys mom and dad, the Christian who forgives his neighbor who wronged him terribly, the woman who, who labors to speak what is good for building others up, all of those people being obedient to Christ are contending for the faith. All right, you, you don't have to nail 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg to contend for the faith. You don't have to write the institutes of the Christian religion like Calvin did to contend for the faith. No, you contend as you labor to teach others the faith. You contend as you labor in prayer for your family and church and community. You contend as you live out the gospel daily and as you be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jude's appeal to all of us. This is Jude's appeal to those of us who teach Sunday school. This is Jude's appeal to those of us who have children in the home. This is Jude's appeal to pastor and elders. This is, this is Jude's appeal that we contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. May God help us do so for his church and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the way in which your word tonight stirs us to not be complacent, but to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Help us, Lord, to contend at church. Help us to contend in our homes. Help us to contend in the places you put us this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.